The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. You're watching Squawk Box. I'm Jeff Cutmore at Credit Suisse in Zurich. We'll tell you about that story in just a moment. Let me also tell you we have Annetta in Frankfurt, Charlotte in Paris, and of course, Stephen Mandy in the London studio. So let's focus on Credit Suisse. Big news this morning. Thomas Gottstein, the CEO, is out. He will be replaced by the head of the asset management business. The bank also reporting a larger loss than the market was expecting. We'll have a conversation with the chairman, Axel Lehman, very shortly. Well, in big corporate news, Alphabet revenue growth plunges to a two-year low as the Google parent flags uncertainty in its ad spending business. Shares rally, we'll discuss that in a little bit uh, time. Uh, also, Microsoft shares reverse early losses and extended trade as investors cheer the software maker's upbeat guidance despite reporting a miss on the top and bottom line. Well, the International Monetary Fund warns the global economy could be teetering on the brink of recession as countries battle to boost growth while taming soaring inflation. As growth is uh, expected to be slower, inflation is actually expected to pick up. So it will take longer for inflation uh, to go away. And hope you're ready because European earnings season is kicking into high gear as we have a swathe of C-suite interviews coming your way, including the CFOs of Equinor, Michelin and Deutsche Bank, and of course the chairman of Credit Suisse, Axel Lehmann, as well as executives from Wholesome, Smurf at Kappa, Mercedes-Benz and Valeo. Well, let me just tell you something. We had a beautiful wall lined up, as you just saw with Mandy, with all the CEOs and CFOs and people we're talking to. And our graphics team and producers brilliantly have changed it in literally lightning speed in the last five minutes or so, just before we went on air. Just move to the right a little bit, Adam. There you go. There you can see. That's the bit I'm talking about. Axel Lehman. We had up until, I kid you not, four seconds before we went on air, we had a picture of Thomas Gottstein there. So that is the massive news of the morning, a troubled two-year ten tenure. A decision comes as Credit Suisse posted a net loss, yeah, of 1.6 billion Swiss in the second quarter. Head of its asset management unit, uh, Ulrich Kroner, will now take over from August. Jeff, um, joins us from, uh, from Zurich Morning. You've been following this ad infinitum, every detail, uh, for a long, long time as well. One thing I will say, uh, as we talk about the Thomas Gottstein reign, he always stood up to the criticism. He always took the interviews, and there's a model for a lot of CEOs there who hide when things get tough. He was always there for your tough questioning. No, absolutely, Steve. And um, as he departs, and yes, I, I, I agree with you. We only found out that Axel Lehman was being switched in to do the interview about five minutes ago. So um, <laughs> good job, graphics, turning those pictures around for the big wall. But, but you're absolutely right. It's been a tumultuous uh, two years here at the bank. And Thomas Godstein has largely presided over uh, a business that has been hit by crisis after crisis, not of his making. And he was effectively brought in to steady the ship, ultimately after that uh, spying scandal here that rocked Zurich and I think took the rest of the 
banking community by surprise, um, given that we like to think of uh, Swiss banking as a traditional and rather staid profession. But all that has changed, of course, over the last two years. And Thomas Gottstein had been tasked with the job of picking up the pieces, ultimately. But we've had um, loss after loss uh, reported here at the bank and a real sense that many of the major shareholders were getting fed up with the continual negative news flow we got from the organization. You may remember, Steve, back at the World Economic Forum, all, all of two months ago, we actually spoke with Axel Lehman. And at the time, I put that question to him as to whether Thomas Gottstein was safe, because there was already speculation that he was going to be eased out because some shareholders didn't feel that he was on top of turning around the business. And this was meant to be the year of transition. So let's just remind ourselves, what did Axel Lehman tell me at the time when we asked the question, is Thomas Gottstein going to be leaving the bank soon? I fully back him because he's good. You know, it's a very challenging situation for the company, but we have a clear plan. We are executing on that plan. So we are rebuilding basically uh, the, the company. So in this regard, all the rumors and speculations, I have read them as well. It's rumors and speculations. And by the way, there are other investors that call me and say, Axel, make sure that you stabilize the company and don't change all the wheels at the same time. Well, I hate to draw the allusion to the uh, football manager uh, situation where the board backs you and then you are gone shortly afterwards. Thomas Gottstein uh, managed to um, limp on for a, another couple of months here before ultimately now leaving the bank. Now, the bank is saying that this is his decision, that this is as a result of his cons consultations with his family and with regard to um, how he sees his health. Uh, we don't know very much more than what's being presented here by Credit Suisse in their press release. So there will be that change. The head of the asset management business will take over. There will be some questions, obviously, as to um, whether bringing in a Swiss lifer in the banking industry here, because he's ex-UBS, where he had pretty much the same role, whether that is the change that Credit Suisse needs at this time. But we'll put that question to Axel Lehman when we have a chance to sit down with him very shortly. Just moving on to the results, obviously this 1.2 billion is a worse loss than the market was anticipating. One would anticipate some kitchen sinking and maybe this is a, a chance for the bank as it changes uh, some of the management team here. It is a chance for the bank to try and get all of the bad news out there. The problem is at the moment, as we know, that the environment is not that conducive to a pickup in client activity anywhere in the world, whether you're talking about the IB business or the global wealth management business or even the Swiss local bank here. So we will get to ask, I hope, Axel Lehman about some of those underlying trends, as well as, of course, the quite dramatic news we have this morning about the change at the helm of the bank. Uh, I'm just trying to think if there are any more uh, interesting nuggets here, because the um, news flow has been coming thick and fast. Probably worth just mentioning that they are continuing to focus on the pivot, I think, of the IB business um, away from risk-weighted assets into something that looks more asset-like. 
We'll probably have a bit of a conversation about that. And of course, the headline this morning is about a comprehensive strategic review to make sure that the bank is in the right business areas. But of course, it does feel like this bank has been in comprehensive strategic review for the last two years or so, guys. Yeah, and and therein lies the point, Jeff, as well. You're going into what is going to be a stunningly tough market for all international investment banks, let alone European uh, investment banks. I I mean, I know very often when we see a change of CEO, uh, we get a little pop in the share price. Strategic review, a little pop in the share price. But the conditions, as they've said themselves, will continue uh, for months ahead. We expect these market conditions to continue for months ahead. It's always about, is there a value opportunity here on a bank that trades at the absolute bottom of the range of banks. If you've got a, a, a Julius Baer trading uh, at 1.3 price to book, this one trades around about a quarter of that. It trades about 0.3 price to book. So the shareholders out there, beleaguered shareholders, plus the short-term shareholders, are trying to look for an entry point. And quite frankly, despite the fact that since 2018, these shares have basically been sired from somewhere in the region of 1920 Swissy down to the current value of 5.16 Swissy. With the strategic review ahead, the uncertainty, and I, and, I, and I see what they're doing. You put an asset management man in there because you think that that is the area of the business that can grow. Well, everyone thinks they can grow the asset management business, as Mandy was pointing out yesterday as well. It is a stunningly crowded arena as well. Yes, the shares may well get a pop, and I haven't even looked at the share price, but very often when you change the CEO and you announce the strategic view, you get a pop. But quite frankly, what are the reasons to buy this bank over other banks that are going into this very tricky time in slightly better fettle as well? And I'm struggling to find them, Jeff. Yeah, no, I think um, maybe one of the few arguments for owning this bank is how much worse can it get at this point if you are a nervous owner, then you are probably no longer in these shares. And I suspect that that would be uh, one of the few reasons for for re-entering at the current price, that you may feel that there is a value opportunity uh, compared to uh, near neighbour UBS if this bank is finally getting its teeth into the real problems here when it comes to finding growth drivers. Uh, Look, I'm scratching around for a few positives this morning. Uh, Maybe one that I can offer up is the fact that there there is no need for fresh capital. I asked a very pointed question of um, uh, some of the Credit Suisse people here. Will you be raising new capital at this time? The answer was take a look at our CET1 ratio um, at uh, 13.5%. We don't think it's necessary to do that at this stage. There's also a very big focus here on cost reduction, which is something also that markets tend to like. But we will see what that that actually translates into, because I know there's been lots of rumours that there'll be further announcements of job losses. I haven't seen any headline on that so far. It is a question that we will ask Axel Lehman. How can you reduce the cost base if you are not going to shrink the workforce? So plenty for us to get our teeth into as we have that conversation with the chairman very shortly. And we will bring you that full interview, Steve. Well, good. I'm glad Axel Lehman's going to be around to do it because, of course, uh, 
It's, it's quite a quick revolving door. When you look at the list of chairmen they've had since Thomas Gottsdiemen's been there, I think it's three. I think he was hired by one, then another took over, then he had to go, then you had uh, Lehman, of course, uh, and then the revolving door of uh, heads of various businesses as well. You have to be quick over at Credit Suisse, don't you? Um, right, let's move on. I get, I've got a kernel of hope for them. The kernel of hope is that they can actually start to turn things around like Deutsche Bank has started mm. to do. And um, the numbers out of Deutsche Bank, well, let's have a look. Second quarter net attributable to shareholders, 1.05 billion euros. Net revenues, 6.65 billion. Sales and trading revenues in FIC. Uh, fixed income and uh, currency, up 32% as well. So there's a positive there as well. Reaffirming 2022 guidance, further reducing Russia exposure. Uh, provisions for credit losses, 233 million euros. Don't get me wrong, these shares are still under a vast amount of pressure if you look at the two-year chart, but at least they seem to have uh, abated some of the mm-hmm. worst crises that were there in the early part of uh, Herr Dr. Christian Savings' tenure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was quite a difficult decade, wasn't it? There, when you were talking about revolving door of, uh, of top management just a moment ago, and that, this is certainly something that applied to Deutsche as well, a lot of top management changes there during that rocky period, but certainly not without uh, a little bit of a, a bump uh, earlier on this year, particularly in March, when they really faced some international backlash for resisting calls to exit, exit Moscow. And I guess uh, their argument, Deutsche's argument was, well, we need to you know, stay in Russia to support multinational firms. But at the same time, they eventually uh, capitulated and did decide to uh, exit Russia. But I think from a reputational damage point of view, it didn't do them any favours, right? Absolutely. Anyway, we're going to have the uh, latest numbers with the CFO, James von Moltke. Do tune into that interview at 0730 CET. Uh, Equinor is set to expand its share buybacks and increase its uh, dividend after beating expectations on second quarter profit on the back of more than $36 billion of revenue. Well, in many ways, of course, uh, the oil majors in a sweet spot with the extraordinary price we're seeing in both oil and gas. But let's just see how it feels for Ulrika Fern, who is the CFO of Equina. Ulrika, lovely to see you. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Well, look, these are extraordinary times. Why don't you tell us about the latest figures? Yeah, thank you very much. And nice to be with you here this morning. Uh, yes, we posted some strong results this morning. Uh, 17, over 17 billion of uh, adjusted earnings and uh, 5 billion after tax and a 10 billion uh, free cash flow, which, as you said, allowed us to increase our capital distribution from a program of 10 billion to up to 13 billion this morning. So, yes, supported by uh, strong commodity prices, but uh, also in a quarter that is normally less, also a strong operation and continued high production uh, to secure supplies. You must have watched this unbelievable pivot we've seen from policymakers, from our political masters, dare I say it, from your shareholders, your major shareholders. One minute they want you to get out of ONG as quickly as possible. Next minute they're saying, how much can you produce for me? How frustrating is it for you and Anders to work with governments at the moment? Uh, I, I wouldn't say frustrating. I think the, the, the good thing here is that our strategy has always been about balancing uh, that trilemma. It's been about balancing supply as well as balancing investing in the energy transition and decarbonizing our, our, our operations as, as they stand today. So it's been a, a strategy that I think has gained more support, if anything, going forward. So that balance is something we need to assess. And, and yes, of course, how we can do that faster and better is something we need to work with governments on. 
about the green transition I see here that uh, obviously you're going to be uh, moving into battery storage and you say it is going to play an important role in this green and energy transition but where does that fit into the broader green transition strategy that you have acquiring this US-based battery storage developer East Point? Yeah, it's a very, very long-term strategic uh, move of us. And, and I will say, uh, being an integrated energy company for the future is still developing exactly what that's going to look like. But of course, many of our renewable uh, assets are uh, a little bit more unpredictable in terms of uh, the energy that it produces. So to find a solution that fits the customer demand, which is a flexible demand, which is a solid demand of energy, uh, storage somewhere in that will probably pay, play a solution. And, and, and to be in that at an early stage, making sure that we develop, as I said, value propositions that connect the energy uh, uh, proposition together to create that security for the, for the customer uh, is, is, is an important one. And, and this plays a big part in that. For the long term, in the very short term, I would imagine that high gas prices is like a double-edged sword for you because uh, those gas prices are also subject to very high volatility and unpredictability. What do those two things mean for your business? Uh, absolutely. We, we do continue to see uh, volatility and tight markets going forward. And, and we're setting ourselves, I mean, you, we need to set up a resilient business to be able to take that. I think the worst thing that can happen is that we need to pull back because we can't take the volatility in the market. So a resilient uh, balance sheet uh, to be able to stay on track, to develop, uh, as I said, across our portfolio, both security of supply and staying on the energy transition being, as we've been pushing to be a leader in, in, in that, is, is the important piece. We can't uh, be able we can't let this volatility and, uh, and tight markets dictate the pace. We need to keep on driving forward. Um, Ulrika, uh, Equinor, like others, are, have pulled out of Russia as quickly as possible. Do you think you as a businesswoman and Equinor as a business can ever trust this government in Russia ever again and work with them ever again? I.e., is it final for a generation? Uh, it's it's a difficult situation, and we made our decision very fast uh, to exit the assets, and where where we've exited them now, it's a difficult developing uh, situation, and 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 all I say is it's very difficult, and and it, there's a lot to row back on. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us, Ulrika Fern, CFO of Equinor. Thank you. Well, Michelin has posted a half-year net profit of 843 million euros. This is despite taking an impairment charge of 202 million euros related to its exit from Russia. The French tyre maker says it expects to hike prices in a bid to offset rising input costs. Well, we now have uh, Yves Chapeau, who is the CFO of Michelin, and uh, he joins us now. Yves, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the assumptions that you've been making with regards to the global economy, because, um, you know, you say that, um, you know, you're expecting things like uh, you're maintaining your full year guidance, but there are a lot of uncertainties which make it difficult to formulate a midterm outlook. Is this based on the idea that the global economy is going into recession or just going to go through a bumpy patch? Yeah, good morning. Thank you for having me. No, it's not based on the recession scenario. It's based on the lot of uncertainty that are waiting on the overall economy. Of course, the potential risk of uh, cooling down of demand in some region and some uh, businesses, but also the fact that uh, uh, we know that we have been going through mostly two years of uh, supply chain disruptions uh when it's not about uh, raw material issues or energy prices uh, rising it's about uh, difficulty to find uh, boats containers uh, scarcity of drivers 
uh, in some regions. Uh, so we consider that this instability and the volatility will probably uh, uh, continue over the, the, the coming uh, semester. That's why we, we put a little bit of prudence in the, our assessment of the forward going markets. But what if the globe goes into a recession? Because at this stage, it looks as if a number of indicators are suggesting that possibility. You know, you've been able to, uh, to pass on price hikes. And you said in the first quarter that your customers were still willing to pay for those higher prices. But what about now? Are you able to preserve your margins and still pass on higher prices? For the time being, as you see in, in our first half results, uh, we have been able to fully hedge uh, the uh, raw material and all the input costs, including transportation energy uh, prices through our price increase. And we have also the mixed enrichments uh, due to the car electrifications uh, that is providing us uh, better revenue, uh, thanks to, uh, let's say, larger uh, tires. Uh, because electric vehicles are heavier than uh, IC vehicles. Um, so in that context, we consider for the time being that we have been able to pass all price increase necessary uh, to cover uh, the known uh, uh, inflators. Um, nevertheless, if uh, there was further inflation coming, we'd be obliged to, uh, to further increase our prices. And we have not observed any uh, trade down uh, from uh, customers and consumers uh, at least during this first half. Um, Eves, good morning to you. Um, the European Commission thinks it's got a plan to conserve energy and conserve demand. Are you concerned that how that's going to affect your business in the autumn and the winter if there are rolling um, limitations on the production you're able to put out there? Add that to all the other problems we're seeing at the moment. Yes, we are, uh, we are concerned, but we, we are also uh, taking some contingency uh, measures in order to make sure that uh, the factories uh, that we operate in Europe and that are still using uh, gas, for example, will have other, uh, let's say, alternative source of energies. Uh, and for example, we rent from boilers in order to be able to uh, substitute uh, uh, gas by uh, fuel if uh, necessary. Um, but uh, we, are, we are putting all contingency plans. Uh, we have been managing uh, uh, supply chain crisis for the past two years, and uh, our teams have gained in agility and uh, ability to cope with these different crises. Uh, and and Eves, uh, another one for me. Um, I'm seeing worrying signs coming from the US consumer uh, emanating as ever from the housing market, which is often very uh, precursor to wider concerns. I'm seeing those same concerns exhibited by one of the biggest retailers in the world, Walmart as well. I'm just wondering if you think that, yes, there's been supply cons uh, constraint, but now there are perhaps easing somewhat that actually the industry's missed the boat and actually those demand will abate quite aggressively from here. We have not observed for the time being any, uh, for example, a decrease in the mileage driven uh, by consumer, uh, neither in the States or in Europe. Of course, we observed some in, in China because of the lockdown uh, during the, the second quarter, particularly during the second quarter. But uh, uh, for the time being, we have not seen any uh, final demand uh, cooling down. We know that our uh, distributors' inventory are at the right level. They are not uh, overstocks. But we also know that uh, there is a potential rebound on the regional equipment side. 
because OEMs uh, have been impeached to, to, to produce for nearly the last uh, 18 months because of the scarcity of uh, microchips. Um, so all in one, we consider that uh, the, the, the demand should be pretty uh, uh, balanced between these different scenarios over the coming months. Yves Chapeau, CFO of Michelin, thank you so much for joining us today with your commentary. Thank you very much. Indeed, we have a slew of C-suite executives joining us today. They're lining up. Well, we're lining up for them, probably, is the better way to put it. We've got a bumper earnings day across Europe. We're going to be hearing from Deutsche Bank's CFO, James von Molke, at 7.30 CET. And Vopac CEO, Dick Michel, is going to be joining us this hour. Also, later on today, we're going to be hearing from the Accredit Suisse, Axel Lehmann, as well as execs from Wholesome, Smurf at Kappa, Mercedes-Benz and Vallejo. Are there any companies that we're not doing this week? I don't think so. I think that's pretty it's, much all. It's crazy. You get a great snapshot. A great snapshot of all different, all different sectors and all different industries. Well, Alphabet missed on the top and bottom line, doing a bit of a rewind back to the US session. This is for the second quarter, of course. The stronger dollar hitting revenue growth. However, and this is the thing that we're a little bit puzzled about, the shares rose in extended trade as quarterly revenue only just missed expectations. And perhaps investors are also looking to a strong performance from the company's Google search unit. The CFO, Ruth Porat, warning that the strength of the US dollar will have a greater impact next quarter and also described the outlook as one of, quote, uncertainty. Are we chatting this now or are we going to be chatting this later? Uh, we'll chat it later. Mike says we've got to chat it later. Okay, well, yeah. you know, we always listen to the voice of God. They, Sometimes. They speak, we, we, we obey. We always do it 52% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that like a Anchorman kind of line? <laughs> that is. Um, Microsoft rising almost 4% in after-hours trade after the software giant issued an upbeat revenue outlook for the year. The company posted revenue and earnings misses for the fourth quarter, taking a hit from once again. You're going to hear this time and time again from these multinationals, a buoyant dollar, and also seeing its slowest revenue growth since 2020. Microsoft's cloud unit, which includes its key Azure division, saw revenue rise 20%, which was less than expected. But as you can see, once again, the shares are up nearly 4%. Indeed they were. Coming up on the show, Deutsche Bank reporting its second quarter, highest second quarter profit since 2011. We'll hear from the CFO, James von Moltke, coming up next. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Well, a big news day out of Switzerland just became a huge news day out of Switzerland with Thomas Gottstein now out at Credit Suisse, the bank names Ulrich Kerner as his replacement as CEO after revealing a larger than expected loss for the second quarter. Uh, we're going to hear, not from Thomas Gottstein, who we were expected to hear from, but we'll hear from the chairman instead, Axel Lehmann, coming up in 31 minutes' time. Elsewhere, Deutsche Bank posts its eighth straight quarterly profit with the German lender, boosted by a rise in investment bank revenues in the second quarter. Uh, we'll have more on the latest numbers with the CFO, James von Moltke, coming up next. Staying with the banks, Unicredit plans a new share buyback and hikes its outlook after posting a surprise second quarter profit rise and cutting its exposure to Russia. 
And big news ahead, surely. The Federal Reserve looks set to hike rates by 75 basis points later today in a bid to clamp down on inflation. As the IMF's Tobias Adrian tells CNBC, price pressures will be slow to dissipate. This growth is uh, expected to be slower. Inflation is actually expected to pick up. So it will take longer for inflation uh, to go away. And as I was saying, if there is hope from uh, anywhere for Credit Suisse, maybe it's coming from Deutsche Bank. We've been speaking to the CFO, James von Molke, asking him about the business in the second quarter. The drivers have been strong in the core businesses in, in the quarter. Um, so that momentum that we talked about last quarter carried through to the second quarter for sure. Our corporate bank was up 26% year on year, driven by not just the interest rate trade changes, but also volume growth, fee income growth. And the investment bank performed very well at 11%, 32% in our FIC business. So we've been able to navigate these markets, take advantage of the trends. Our clients are engaging with the company. And of course, in these markets, risk management has been a key element as well. If you're saying your clients are engaging, um, and what are your clients essentially doing? Because many clients are just doing nothing right now. Well, look, on the, I'll give you the example in the corporate bank. Yeah. We, we're working with clients to think about their supply chains to look at how you invest to bring production onshore or closer to home. Um, obviously managing the risks out there, their you know, foreign currency and FX risks and, and rates risks, for example. Those are all decisions that our corporate clients need to make. And on the retail side or the private client side, of course, they need to make investment decisions in these markets, either to protect wealth or to look for opportunities. And those, are, those are dialogues that are happening all across the bank every day. Um, what are you advising your clients when it comes to, for example, I mean, you were saying forex exposure. I mean, we, we've seen the dollar being very strong. Are you expecting that to stay? Well, look, there has been a strong trend over the past sort of six, nine months. That started to slow now as the ECB is taking monetary policy action here in Europe. Um, there hasn't been a new trend established, so we've needed to protect ourselves from, from the weakening of the euro. And at this point, uh, you know, I wouldn't say there's a strong bias in, in either direction. There's certainly a concern um, that the euro will weaken more, and that's, that's something that, that, that we need to be vigilant about. Also, if you look at the interest rate expectations, the hiking cycle here in, uh, in Europe, it has gone down from mid-June quite, quite a lot. So what are your expectations surrounding that and what are you advising your clients? Well, look, I think in any major interest rate cycle, there's always uncertainty as to the, as to the extent of the moves. Um, and given the slowing economy, uh, that's obviously caused the rates markets to think twice on what that terminal rate will be. Our view is continues to be that the ECB will need to move more aggressively than perhaps the current um, expectations are. We view the terminal rate to be 2% here in Europe. Um, but the market is, is at this point unsure. We've gotten to zero. There's an expectation of more steps, um, but no certainty at this point how far it'll go. Let's look at your business again. The cost-income ratio, you have yeah, adjusted that target slightly to the mid or low to mid-70s. Previously, it was 70. Is that because of high inflation as well? Look, inflation certainly had, had some impact, and, and mostly insofar as, as some of the downside levers that we are typically able to pull. It's just harder to pull in an environment where you know, vendors are, are working to preserve their margin, where there's very little sort of play in, in, in the, the compensation cost lines. 
Um, for us, you know, we've been on a long journey and we've made enormous progress over these past several years. We've taken literally billions of euros out of our cost base. Uh, but at the same time, it's been important to us to sustain the investments that have been necessary in our, in our company, whether that's in IT or controls uh, or also in, in, in business generation. Um, and so the, the change in, in our guidance for this, this year reflects, firstly, the decision to, to invest, and secondly, some issues that hit us, if you like, setbacks that were outside of our control in the, in the, second, in the first half that may continue into the second. Right, so let's get to Annette. Annette, Manny and I were just talking about it. It's complicated, isn't it? Because, yes, they've come a long way. And, yes, the shares are off their 52-week low. But they have come off aggressively uh, from their um, 1464 high in February when everyone was getting quite excited about the Deutsche story. So just talk us through where we're at in that recovery story. Because, as we've been saying, it is very complicated. It is very complicated and the share price is uh, a huge disappointment also to the management of Deutsche Bank because clearly they're delivering, they're delivering on their targets and uh, the investment bank is astonishingly strong also compared to its competitors, the private bank, the corporate bank, they're all doing quite well given that very difficult market environment, also the profit guidance is very much intact. The only like weak spot in that number set is the cost income ratio, which James was just explaining. Um, they have adjusted because of the high inflationary environment, uh, given that they want to keep up their investment in, in, in various of uh, even areas, especially in the IT sector. So I guess the, um, the share price uh, uh, development is kind of not really reflecting what happens inside the bank, but it's also the general market environment. Of course, the outlook is very difficult. We all know that, especially here in Europe, we're headed towards a very uncertain uh, second half of the year, given the gas crisis, given what that might mean for the economic development. So I was asking James Romalke, the CFO of Deutsche Bank as well, what he thinks uh, the outlook for the remainder of the year is and what it means for the bank. Take a listen to navigate the environment as well as we did in the first half and that's our, our principal concern as always risk management is 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 paramount um, when you're in these uncertain markets our concern is to remain focused on clients and and ensure that that we're helping them navigate these markets as well and if we do that well um, our businesses perform look our stable businesses we've been talking about for several years the the goal that we had to see a larger contribution from and and, and better performance in our corporate bank and private bank as examples. And, and you're seeing that now quite clearly in our numbers. And we don't see any reason why that, that trend should change in the second half. So what they are expecting is that there will be more volatility also for the remainder of the year, which is per se not negative for the investment bank, especially for the trading business. But of course, for uh, origination and advisory, it will most likely stay weak as well during the next weeks and months. We have seen the number uh, being very, very weak also for the second quarter because nobody is really doing a lot, especially also in, that, in the debt capital market, given that there's so much uncertainty and nobody really knows how, how fast rates are moving, especially here in the Eurozone. But on that, uh, on that note, uh, James was thinking um, that the ECB will also have to move bolder than the market is currently expecting with that rate hike expectation being dragged down from mid-June uh, again to 
um, the, and they are seeing the neutral rate here also for the near, for the eurozone being at roughly two percent. Uh, when it comes to the start to the third quarter, he was saying that this was somehow muted. July was not a very strong month, but of course July, August, and September are traditionally rather weak months because obviously August is the main holiday period. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.